right off the bat here really quick, is just a little bit of a behind-the-scenes peek at something that happened during the creation of this particular episode. Um, see, the, one of the reasons why this episode came into being, uh, it wasn't just, you know, hey, let's do something fun and silly and exciting like you might imagine, although it did kind of lean in that direction. What happened was the previous outing of Captain Proton was actually pretty successful. You know, people it was well received amongst people, so they just kind of kept that lodged in the back of their mind. And then when a fire problem happened on the set of the bridge, uh, they kind of wanted to do as little footage on the bridge as possible on that set. So they kind of basically engineered an episode that had as little time on the bridge as possible in order to deal with that. You might wonder why I'm bringing this up. It's not just for behind-the-scenes info. It's because of the fact that, well, <clears throat> what happened, you see, is Rick Berman was visiting the set for some publicity stuff. And while he was there, there was uh, a bizarre light outage. And one of the lights uh, overheated or, or sparked or burst or whatever, which caused several of the nearby things to catch on fire. And then the sprinklers all went off. And um, So uh, in case you ever think I'm being facetious when I say that Rick Berman uh, destroyed Star Trek, he was literally destroying Star Trek while on the set of Voyager. Now... <clears throat> One thing I want to say, <laughs> there's actually, oh, there was a joke that was cycling around at the time that um, God missed. Anyways, so, <laughs> yeah, I've, I'm well publicized in my hatred of Rick Berman. Um, I don't wish the man to be hit by lightning, that's terrible. But, um, one of the things I've said for many, many years, uh, and this is a great time to talk about this, is the concept of, if you, the people who are making a work care about the work, then the work tends to be better. Even if the, like, like if you're writing a book, and even if this book is not the best written, and not the most engaging, and doesn't have the most in-depth plot, and doesn't have the most well-fleshed-out characters, if you really care, if you genuinely put your passion, enthusiasm, etc. into it, chances are it will at least be more enjoyable than it would otherwise. And this is something I've seen a lot in basically everything ever. This episode is a great example of this. In fact, if I could pull another weird Star Trek example out of this, Enterprise had a two-parter, uh, Amir Darkly, I believe, is the name of the two-parter. It's the Mirror Universe episodes of Enterprise, which are silly, ridiculous, and, and frankly kind of over-the-top, but very, very enjoyable episodes because everyone was just throwing their all into it and having a ball with it, and it showed. Um, I've often said that enthusiastic creators tend to make enthusiastic works, and that's something I enjoy personally. It's not for everyone, of course. I've heard some people say that, you know, they just wish they could have a cleaner, tighter, professional, you know, script, performance, game, book, whatever, etc. But I like the enthusiasm. I like it when someone goes out there and is like, yeah. Um, it's one of the things I mentioned, if you remember way back in the episode The Cloud, all the way back in season one or two, whenever that was. Uh, it's another good example of people really putting their all into something that was, you know, is a bad episode. So this episode is silly, ridiculous, and stupid. But I love it. This is actually among my favorite episodes uh, in Voyager in general, but especially in season five. There's just a lot of fun on the screen. It's like, ah, <laughs> um, I, uh, I really like the fact that there's just this wonderful deadpan snarking going on. I love the sheer uh, 
the sincerity with which they approach their completely over-the-top, hammy, silly, corny lines. And, oh, and, and the gentleman they got to play Chaotico was perfect. I, I, I mean, there are very few people I could picture doing his, his role even better. He's like, oh yes, the burden of leadership is truly... Terrible. Oh, my incompetent minions. And, and the very concept of a, of a gentleman who is so arrogant that he uh, he's actively like, Oh, yes, I, I understand that simply by ordering something to happen, it will happen. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, but there's no denying that this episode is fluff. Let's just get that out of the way. But I will say this, I've noticed this trend over the years. Most fluff episodes of Star Trek I tend to like, across all the series. Now, I don't mean filler episodes, to make that clear. I mean fluff. Now, you're probably like, well, what's the difference? Well, in all honesty, the only real difference comes down to preference and opinion. What is fluff for one person is probably filler for someone else. However... Uh, there is something that can be pretty definitively shown as a difference between the two, regardless of opinion. And that's when the person, the people making the episode are just making an episode to fill time. That's the only thing they care about. There are episodes of this in Enterprise and Voyager. But my favorite episode to really go for, to really highlight the concept of a filler episode, is Shades of Grey over in The Next Generation. Which is an episode of, it's, it's a flashback show, first of all. which, And second of all was just uh, it really was just there to occupy 44 minutes of time that's that's its only purpose in existing it's it's bad <laughs> it is actively did just uh, why am i watching this um by contrast fluff is it could be considered filler i mean if you don't like it then it's going to be filler for you it's going to be padding it's like oh, go away i don't want this uh, a good example of this is the heist episode, Big Bing Bada Boom, I forget, I forget the name of it, in DS9, which is another fluff episode. It has nothing to do with anything. Uh, it doesn't really advance any big themes or concepts. It's just there for fun. But if you don't like that, then that's, then, then duh, right? You're not going to enjoy that. Um, that comes down to preference and opinion. There's nothing wrong with liking or disliking such a thing. But I will argue that an episode like Big Bada Bing, like the, the baseball episode on DS9, like this episode here, um, and a later episode, I can't remember its name, it's the one where they're all time-hopping tons of times. Uh, season 7, I want to say. Anyways, I will argue that these types of episodes are not filler. They are not purely there just for padding's sake. Because the, peop the people involved actually tried to put forth something. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but, you know, I, I hope to get at least to the point of acknowledgement that something, some effort was put into, you know, some, some semblance of giving a damn about putting out an episode was there. So, uh, one of the other interesting things about this episode, and this is so rare at this point in history, it is so rare that, that Berman would allow them to do custom music for Star Trek at this point in time. If you remember, this is the wallpaper music uh, part of Star Trek. And I've complained about this many times going throughout Voyager. They actually went and recorded custom musical works designed to be stylized as 50s melodramas, radio dramas, specifically for this episode, which, again, shows the level of care that was put into it. Um, they also had a lot of fun doing the black and white set design stuff. because, And you might be like, well, what does that mean? All they did was put a filter on it. Well, actually, I don't know if you know this, but... Things look different when they're black and white, so the people actually making the sets had to take that into account, that there wouldn't be colors or designs. So if you've seen pictures of the actual sets of the Bride of Chaotica episode, they look kind of different than you'd imagine, because, again, they were designed to be filmed in black and white. Although there's a funny joke about that, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
I love the idea of recaps in a holodeck series. This is in-universe now we're talking about. I like the idea of... Well, it's... it's imagine if any time... There's actually a couple of games that do this. Uh, the Mario & Luigi series uh, of RPGs do this. And I feel like there's another one that does this too. Like when you start up the game... Uh, Tor does this to a little bit of an extent. When you start up the game, there's a little bit of a blurb to remind you of where you were. Which I like that in concept. Uh, because it's there to remind you of where you were. You know, you, you have no idea. They have no idea how long it's been since you last played. You could. I, I mean, I'm sure several of you out there know the idea of putting down a game and then walking away for five months or a year or whatever, and then going back and be like, oh, where was I? And I'm sure most of you, like me, have that same problem where we go back and we're like, I have no idea where I am. Ah, screw it. I'll just start over. <laughs> you know, and just start the game over again. Um, so the idea of that being in a holodeck series, a series of of Holodeck, I don't know what to call them. Holodeck programs, I guess? That seems so banal. Uh, holodeck recreations? I don't know, we'll come up with something. Um, but the idea of like a, a, a series, a franchise of holodeck shows, uh, having that same kind of concept I actually like. Although I do find it funny that Harry complains, that never happened! <laughs> um, which, uh, I'll bring that up again in just a minute. And by in a minute, I mean it's literally the last thing I'm going to talk about. So... Probably not a minute. Um, I like the in-jokes. There's actually quite a few in this episode, but one of my favorites is Harry's looking around, and they're on planet, uh, excuse me, they're on planet Soundstage, they're on planet Hell. Uh, for those of you who don't know, planet Hell was actually a set that they used at the Paramount lot many, 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 many times, uh, and reused it excessively in early TNG, and I mean excessively. Virtually, I would say almost every single cave or planet set you saw in like season one of TNG was that sound set, and it kind of shows. So they they kind of make fun of it by Kim goes in there. He's like, "This looks familiar. Wasn't this the same planet we were on last time?" Um, they even call it Mercury. Uh, the previous one being Mercury. So there's a long intro to this, and. I feel like it works. I've talked before about the concept of long and short uh, teasers to these. I feel like it works in this case only because of the proton stuff. Again, it's the fluff mentality. The, the, the catch at the end, okay, so there's something happening in the holodeck, that didn't, that didn't even begin to spark my attention, if I'm being honest. It's like, okay, whatever. The following along, the way the holodeck program works, the Captain Proton Adventures, that was interesting. That was fun. I was enjoying that. And so that's why I don't mind. It's like a three-and-a-half-minute teaser, very long teaser. Um, but it doesn't actually work on its own right. And that's kind of the problem with this episode in a nutshell. I've already hinted at this, but I'll just say it flat out. This is not a very well-written episode in terms of plot structure, uh, in terms of character development, in terms of, you know, thematic significance. You know, it, there's some good dialogue. There's actually great dialogue and some really good acting in this episode. But the plot is pathetic. This is literally a holodeck gone wrong, epi wrong episode given a little bit of a twist. And that's it. You know, this is one of the oldest and most well-known Star Trek cliches that there is. Um, you know, right up there with, with, with the red shirt thing, which started all the way back in the original series. This has been around since TNG Season 1, uh, with The Long Goodbye, I believe, is where this, the holodeck malfunction first started. Which, again, Season 1, TNG. <sighs> um, I may be thinking of the wrong episode, but you probably know the one I'm talking about. So, the... Um, the, one of the things I like is that, that there's several moments where they play with the expectations. For example, there's a moment where, uh, I forget his name, Premier Romanov shows up. 
Some of you will get that joke. Premier Romanov shows up, and he starts monologuing, like, oh, you thought you left me for dead, but now I will get all of my revenge against you. And he's just monologuing, and, and Tom just shoots him. <laughs> um, just shoots him right in the chest. Ugh, thud. Um, I love that moment. It, it, it's great. And, and everyone in, involved, the guy and the guards, are just looking utterly shocked, like, he can't do that, can he? He, he can't do that. He was monologuing. He was in the middle of a speech. You can't shoot someone in the middle of a speech. It reminds me of something I used to do all the time deliberately in Skyrim, as weird as that sounds. There's a lot of quests and dungeons where you'll enter like a big room, and the moment you enter it, a trigger happens where the, where the boss starts pontificating. Oh, I have been waiting countless ages to defeat you, oh, Dragonborn. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, but if you do the dash run thing and then sprint up there and then one-shot him, you can get him by the time he gets to, like, word three. So, like, I have been waiting for... And he'll actually interrupt his speech as he's just standing there. I used to love doing that because it cracked me up every time. What? Don't look at me like that. <laughs> um... So, uh, I don't have many more notes, I'm sorry. There's really not a lot to talk about in this episode. Uh, I do find the photonic life form concept fascinating. The idea of an entire reality, uh, dimension, sub-layer sub of existence, um, alter alternate reality could be one of those, where all there, there's, where there's no matter, basically, where all life, where all existence has been created out of photonic energy. What I find interesting is, under the right circumstances, I could see that as actually being believable. A 100% universally photonic existence. And it would only work if the photons interacted with each other in relatively the same basic way uh, that matter interacts with itself. But we've seen that to be true, at least in the holodecks, and they certainly seem to act that way, having full, full command of things like basic language and whatnot. So they're not totally alien. They could have gone that route. They could have made these people completely alien, you know, completely incognizant, in, in, uh, in, incommunicable, completely nothing, just, just kind of a situation. But they didn't. They're basically us, but they're photons instead of, uh, instead of flesh, instead of matter. And that actually makes sense, like I said. Um, it's the kind of thing, though, that is so interesting, I feel like it's deliberate. If I was the kind of person who was handed the reins of Star Trek, and believe me, I've thought about this a lot because I am a Star Trek geek, what do you want from me? You've thought about it, too. Don't deny it. Um, there are a... there At one point in time, I had a list, I don't have this list anymore, of threads that Star Trek left dangling from various episodes that I would like to pick up on again. This is actually one of them. Uh, I would love to examine how that universe came into being and who put it into being, because I, I, I would postulate it was done deliberately uh, for it to, to propagate into such circumstances and to be designed to work into such circumstances. And I found the idea fascinating. I really do. I love the concept of a culture of people who are all photonic. I also like the fact that they perceive, you know, carbon-based life or matter-based life as non-life. Um, I find that interesting in its own right because... Over on the show, you could argue that we view photonic life as non-life, but that's not actually true. It has been demonstrated at least twice, arguably more than that, but at least twice, that there have been beings that are photonic in, in basis that have been considered living creatures, you know, by, by the, the matter-based people. So I find it interesting that the photons find the concept of a matter-based creature so alien as to not really recognize them as living not even being able to qualify them as alive. Um, it makes me wonder, because they mention how they are explorers, and they explore other realms, 
and the implication there is that those other realms are photonic. Those other worlds are photonic. So again, a lot of questions raised there probably by bad writing, let's be honest with ourselves, that's probably just a giant plot hole. But you could fill that plot hole. It is possible. I could see how it would be done. Uh, especially if them leaking out into the non-photonic universe was a complete accident. And they've just been interacting with other photonic life in the photonic universe this entire time. Because there's, there's a lot of space. I mean, space big. Like, really big. So imagine a photonic space, and you've got a lot of photonic to interact with. That, that, that word is starting to sound weird to me. Um, I uh, I love the fact that the, the, they, they happen to interact with Voyager, which is a freak one in a billion... Ooh, one in way more than a billion chance. And uh, on top of that, they happen to be running the Captain Proton program. Think about how interesting it would be for the dozens hundreds of other programs we've seen the, you know the klingon pain stick program um the the uh the leonardo da vinci program the uh the, the victorian program um the old paris program you know there's so many other possibilities of what you know what they could have interacted with imagine if some of barclay's programs had been running and these photonic life forms had encountered them i am the goddess of i forget what um you know marina certis uh but no, it had to be Cat and Proton. They had to interact with Chaotica. And who will fire the Death Ray? And I love the fact that the Death Ray, which of course is programmed to do nothing to matter, can still interact with photons, because that makes sense, if you think about it. In the, the program, in the holodeck, it is designed to interact with characters in the holodeck as if it was actually the Death Ray. But with the safeties on, it doesn't do that to matter, because that's how it distinguishes. That's what the safeties do. They, they cause the photons to interact differently with other photons than with matter. Very simple. So, yeah, for all intents and purposes, the photonic life forms are just other characters in, in the program, and that's why they're actually losing to Chaotica, which I find hilarious. Um, there's two other lines. I just want to share these lines, because these are great. There's this one line where the, where the robots are like, Invaders! Invaders! And, and, and Paris is like, Quiet! And then the robot, and you almost missed this. I had to rewind. Then the robot very quietly is like, Invaders! Invaders! I loved that. Uh, there's another line. Oh my god. So later on, there's a, there's a scene in the meeting room uh, where Paris is laying out the situation. And um, he's talking, and then there's this great line uh, where she's like, and they're all fighting this Chaotica. And he says, yes, ma'am, against Chaotica. She's, they're all fighting Chaotica's army. And he says, yes, ma'am, his army of evil. I can't do it. I'm not a deadpan snarker. But uh, Robert McNeil perfectly nails the sincerity, the, 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 again, the deadpan snarker. He doesn't have the wink and the nudge thing. You know, he's not like, ha ha, isn't this silly? He treats it with such total flatness that the entire scene is made much funnier as, as he's trying to brief Starfleet officers on things like uh, death rays and armies of evil and, you know, the, the, the bride of, you know, the, the arachnid queen and all that fun stuff. It's great. It's lots of comic value. Um, one person, literally only one person involved in the production staff, stated that he really didn't like uh, one aspect of the show, and that's the fact that after Janeway wins, she keeps the program going for a little bit so they can have that little finale at the end. I'm not sure why that bothered him. His perspective was, according to the interview, his perspective was he preferred it if, you know, Janeway had just been, all right, I'm done, I'm going back to the bridge get on with this. 
I don't really believe that, though. I felt like, especially based on the way she started acting towards the end there, that she was getting into the role of it. She was, to be as blunt as I can, enjoying herself. That is what the holodeck is there for, after all. It is a tool of enjoyment and relaxation. I mean, yeah, there's other things you can do with it, but come on, it's the ultimate video game. So there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I, I find it weird that he found it odd that she would actually continue to enjoy the moment. Eh, whatever. Um, so one interesting last fact, and this is the last thing I got, sorry. I, I told you I'd get to it a minute later. Chaotica remembers these events of this episode. Now, you're probably like, huh? I'm serious. He, at the end, he says, I, you know, death, as you know, it has no hold on me. I will return. You know, something like that. Which is hilarious, because he does return in a future episode. But best of all, he actually references the events of this episode in that episode. So he did remember, the program remembered, you know, the computer remembered what happened here. Um, which I find hilarious in its own right. Of all the places to find continuity in Voyager, we find it in Chaotica. But I found it interesting for another reason, too. There are a lot of games, programs, apps, that kind of thing, out there uh, in real life right now that remember preferences. Uh, Google is probably the, the, the best and worst uh, offender in this concept. But there's a lot of stuff where it's like if you do something so many times or if you do this kind of playthrough or whatever, it will remember your actions and then carry those forward in the future. Uh, I don't want to talk about too many examples of this because I could get into some stuff. But I like that idea. I like that idea of that uh, optional customization thing because it's perfectly suited to a holodeck. Remember, all a holodeck is is basically AI. I've talked about this before, the concept of the perfect GM. You know, the GM who can actually create the game around you instead of just telling you what's happening and adapting to your actions so it can change the game around you based on you. I love the idea of it remembering that, even for something like a serial, even for something of a franchise like the Captain Proton Adventure, it remembers the program, the actual holodeck program and computer, remembers your actions and what you did previously so it can bring those things up later, so it can show consequence, so it can show continuity, and so you can get more invested in programs long term. We actually saw another hint of this earlier with that child uh, program in um, Once Upon a Time. I believe is the name of the episode, which I ranted at because Rick Berman, um, about how the program, let's, let's put it honest, that's what it is, the program actually remembered uh, the incidents in Wildman and and made them react to her based off of the, the knowledge and storage that was in there. Now, of course, there has to be a finite limit to that because, you know, there's a finite limit in the databanks, but... As long as you're still, you know, in a, I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but saving those kind of variables takes very, very, very little space, and that's in real life terms. So in Star Trek, you could save millions of people's interactions with millions of programs and taking relatively very little space for doing so. So I just like that concept, and, I, and I, another one of those things I wish we'd seen more of in the holodecks. We will actually see a little bit more of that in the future, um, but we'll get there when we get there. Like I said, that's all I got. Sorry for the short episode. Good episode, though. Loved it. Uh, as always... Look forward to hearing your thoughts. See you around, guys.